0: Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We wanna thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's word together. Thanks for tuning in to the Go and Teach radio
1: program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monte Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't want to scare you away from our program, but we've got a very difficult topic that I want to talk about today, and that's hatred. Many people have been taught that hatred is wrong, wrong in all circumstances, that it is a categorically bad thing, and for good reason at times, because hatred is probably one of the most misunderstood, unappreciated, and abused of all of our emotions, And because it's so easily used for evil and not for good, we've trained ourselves to, well, to simply bottle up hatred without ever expressing it for fear of misuse. Because we don't want to be defined as hateful people, we don't really know anymore how to express legitimate hatred. Yet the Bible makes it clear that hate is as natural and divine as love, and its expression can cause as much good in our world. To be sure, hatred can be perverted, and usually is, and even those who claim to hate nothing actually do hate certain things. The key is not getting rid of hate, but learning to hate the right things well, as one writer puts it in a book called Nine Things a Leader Must Do. Channeling hatred for godly purposes is as necessary to our Christianity as many other emotions that are not so loathed by our culture. Now, for total clarity, let's define love as that which we invest in, something that we go for, something we move towards, something we devote ourselves to. In like manner, hate is that which we move against or remove investment from. For example, if we hate dishonesty, then we move away from it and we invest in its opposite, which is honesty. If we hate duplicity of character or being a hypocrite, then we move in the other direction toward openness and sincerity. Therefore, character is defined as much by our hatred, those vices and sins that we oppose and avoid, as it is by our love, those higher qualities which we strive for, that we attain to. The back-and-forth relationship of love and hate is very natural, by definition, if we love evil things, we hate that which is good. The opposite is also true. You can see this in Proverbs 8, verse 36. Speaking of wisdom there, all those who hate me love death. Or in the Old Testament book, Micah, in Micah chapter 3, verse 2, you who hate good and love evil. God also defines himself in the same way. He's expressed many things which he loves, but he balances that by being painfully honest about the things that he hates. Go to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament and notice in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates. And it comes right out and says it. God hates these things. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That's arrogance, right? Pride. A lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Like I said before, To hate these things is to be implicitly in favor of their polar opposites. If God hates haughty eyes or pride, then he loves humility. If he hates a lying tongue, then he loves honesty. If he hates hands that shed innocent blood, then he loves those who care for the innocent. If he hates a heart that devises wicked plans, then he loves a heart that moves toward God. If he hates feet that run rapidly to evil, then he loves feet that run away from evil and run toward good. If he hates a false witness who utters lies, then he loves somebody who comes in and speaks the truth and defends his neighbor. And if he hates one who spreads strife among brothers, then he loves people who spread unity. So for as much as we hate hatred, pun intended there, one could almost say that you can't have love without hate. Somebody says, for example, that they're an animal lover. Well, that means something. It means that they not only love animals, but they are also saying, I hate the mistreatment of animals. I mean, being an animal lover means something more than just loving animals. There's something more involved in that. So one of the positive results of hatred is that it makes us dependable. People know where we stand. People know what we'll do in any situation. People know what we're for and what we're against. Hate makes us dependable so long as we're hating the right things in the right way. I'll give you a couple of examples from the Bible. Where God says through the prophet in Malachi 2 verse 16, For I hate divorce. Now, that's what God's statement on divorces is, is I hate divorce. But there's more to it than just hating divorce. Because implied in the statement, I hate divorce, is also the idea of I love marriage. If I hate divorce, then I also love marriage. I love marital unity. I love marital satisfaction. I love deep regard in a marriage. If you hate divorce, you're also making a statement about how you love marriage. Next, notice Revelation 2, verse 6, where Jesus speaks to the Apostle John and says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Uh, That was a party in that congregation that was spreading false teaching. Now, Jesus hated their deeds. Now, he wasn't hating the ones committing the deeds, but he hated the deeds. And this wasn't just some kind of a personal hatred. He hated the product. He hated the result of the deeds. He hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans because their deeds were sowing disunity in the congregation. Because their deeds matched up with what Satan wanted to accomplish, which was the destruction of that congregation. In Ephesians 5, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Now, speaking there of the marriage union, we have an inherent sense of self protection. Hating our flesh is unnatural, it's perverted, just as much as hating our spouses. So we have to hate the right things. Hatred, just by itself, is a moral neutral. Hatred can be used for good, hatred can be used for evil. No one ever hated his own flesh because that goes against the nature. It goes against the very nature of self-preservation. And here's one more scripture before we move on to another idea. In Psalm 119, verse 163, that Psalm 119, verse 163, says that I hate falsehood. Now that's the psalmist writing that. And that's an important point to make, because in these previous verses, we were either talking about hatred in the sense of not hating your own flesh, or we're talking about God and his son Jesus hating something. But in Psalm 119, this is a human. This is the psalmist saying, I hate falsehood. This means that we are allowed to hate things. Hate is not a sin. Hate is just an emotional response to something. Now, we can hate the right things, or we can hate the wrong things, but hatred itself is not a sin. God designed the strong emotion of hatred to act as almost like an immune system for the soul. In Romans 12, verse 9, he says, Abhor or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. The inference is that the emotion needs to be educated and perfected, It does us no good if we allow our hate to become destructive, which is subjective rather than objective. Hatred can become a pool of feelings that reside in the soul, just waiting for expression. It can be very infectious to leave hate unattended or bottled up, as it was never designed for such prolonged hiding. Again, like the physical immune system, which only works if one exposes it to the environment, hatred can be perverted if it's just kept contained. We need hatred, and we need to express it. If we don't hate anything, then we can't love anything, for the two, as we've already seen, have to go hand in hand. What happens with much hatred is that it's unnaturally contained, and eventually it just explodes. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Let me read that again. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Now what he's saying is fools keep anger. They hold on to their anger. Fools take anger and they allow it to penetrate the soul and it it infects everything. This is an important lesson, my friends. Hatred and a bad temper are not the same thing. We can hate things objectively with godliness of mind and self-control, but when our hatred turns into fits of rage and anger and madness and volatility, we move away from the wise handling of our expression to the insane explosion of our passions. Proverbs 22 verse 24 Says, do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot tempered man lest you learn his ways. Now it's interesting to see that a bad temper is something that well that can be learned. And maybe the other lesson of this Proverbs 22, verse 24 passage is that we can line up anger and hatred and see that they're not the same thing. I know it doesn't say hate the ways of a man given to anger, or hate the ways of a hot-tempered man. But if if our definition of hatred is the things that we move away from, the things we, we divest ourselves from, then in a way he's saying, hate the ways of a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with a man given to anger. Do not associate, disassociate yourself from that person. Don't go with a hot-tempered man. Don't follow his ways, don't follow his patterns. Hate the ways of the hot-tempered person. Hatred and having a bad temper are not the same thing. So if you're just joining us, we've been talking about hatred and how to turn hatred into something useful or constructive. So let's talk about some applications. Constructive anger, first of all, is specific. Going back to the book that I mentioned earlier called Nine Things a Leader Must Do, the writer says, find the sources of your subjective hatred and make them objective. Objective. Put names and faces to the origins of your problematic feelings and attitudes. For example, if you have been hurt by an unreasonable boss in the past, do you feel subjective hate toward everyone in authority over you? Make that anger and hurt objective to the one person and offense that hurt you, and do not generalize. I think that's a really good piece of advice there. (laughs) To use hatred properly we must have a very focused approach to its expression. It's comparable to a military airstrike. With such destructive capabilities and the potential for a lot of collateral damage, precision is paramount, and there's no room for error. Consider three things along this point before moving on. First of all, when we've had a bad day at work, we might be tempted to come home and take it out on our loved ones. Be really careful because they're not the source of your anger. And if you're taking out your anger on them, then your hatred has become a bad thing. You might hate the unfairness of something at work. You might hate the way that you've been abused or mistreated in some way by an employer. You might hate some condition that exists out there that makes your life more miserable than you think it should be. But that's no reason to come home and treat your family, your spouse, your children, in a hateful and angry manner. That's no reason to drive in an angry way on the way home. That's no reason to get angry at the person at the restaurant who messes up your order. Be very specific about your anger. One bad experience with a waiter or waitress might sully your entire perception of a restaurant chain. But that doesn't mean that every single one of those restaurants has to be bad. You might have had a really bad experience at a Chili's in Dayton, Ohio. But that doesn't mean that every Chili's restaurant is going to be exactly the same way. That doesn't mean that every Chili's restaurant is going to treat you badly. But the other thing I'll say along these lines, and probably the most important thing that I could say along these lines is that when we hate the right things in the right way, by making our hatred specific to something, not just everything or anything, it prevents prejudice. For example, somebody of a particular race might mistreat you in some way. Now, your natural response, and there's nothing wrong with the natural response, is to become either angry or frustrated. You hate the thing that is done to you. You hate that your car has been damaged, that your home has been broken into, that you've been violated in some way physically. You, you hate that. And there's nothing wrong with hating violation. There's nothing wrong with hating theft There's nothing wrong with hating the effect of drunk driving. But when you survive such a traumatic experience, having experienced it at the hands of somebody of a particular race, do you then walk away hating everybody from that race? Do you associate the feelings of hatred that you had for that circumstance you hated that your car was destroyed in an accident, or you hated that a family member was violated in some way, or you hated that your property was, was taken or stolen, do you associate the hatred that you have toward that circumstance and the pain and trauma of that circumstance with the race of that person who did it? We have to keep our hatred specific. Otherwise, hatred just runs wild. And prejudice is born, and racism is born. And the hatred that you have that was a natural response to the circumstance, which could have been used for some productive means, that hatred becomes a bad thing, not just for you, but for society in general. Let's move on to the idea that constructive hatred is balanced with deep love. Psalm 119, verse 104 From thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The writer of Psalm 119 may have hated the false ways, but his hatred was balanced with a sincere love for sinners. In Psalm 51, verse 13, notice here that when David confronts the sin of his own life and when he's convicted by God and he realizes how much God loves him and will forgive him, here's his response. Then I will teach transgressors... Thy ways. This mix, this balance of hating every false way, but loving transgressors enough to teach them the truth, this mix will enable us to take the necessary tough stands on issues, but remain kind in the process. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, for example, Paul encourages Timothy in verses 22 through the end of the chapter, but specifically here in verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those in opposition. The same attitude is found in God as well, who refuses to compromise on what is truth, on what is right, Yet desires all men to repent and be saved. Some will try dealing with their hatred by just stifling it. And they never respond to negative situations. They think that if they just bury their hatred as deep as possible, that they'll be able to get away with that. But it's impractical to do this. Everybody ends up responding somehow, sooner or later. Later. And if you'll not take out your frustrations in one way, then you'll just do it in another way. Rather than just not responding to evil situations, God expects us to have practical and constructive, constructive methods of expressing our, our hatred. In Luke chapter 6, verse 28, it says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to turn your other cheek when somebody slaps you. But turning the other cheek is not the same thing as a non-response. Turning the other cheek is a refusal to take your own revenge. It is a positive and constructive response to an unjust treatment. Non-response would be to turn no cheek. Non-response would be to let the thief take your coat and do nothing more. When injustice happens, find the peaceful, godly, responsible way of responding. Hate in ways that solve problems. If I hate that I'm not talking to people about the gospel, if I hate that our congregation is struggling evangelistically, if I hate to see lost people remain lost because I've chosen to ignore them, well, then I need to resolve to solve that problem. My hatred of that condition needs to motivate me. If I hate that many church members are failing to attend regularly, if I hate to see so many empty seats in the auditorium, if I hate to see families that are struggling spiritually and nobody's reaching out to them, well, don't just complain about it. That I need to call, I need to send cards, I need to be the one visiting, I need to be the one getting out there and trying to solve the problem. If I, hate the, if I hate that a coworker is constantly insulting my faith, do I just ignore him? Or do I actively respond by displaying my faith in productive and responsible ways? There are a lot of things out there that I hate. Hate needs to be responded to in a positive and useful way. Make the world around you a better place and silence the doubters of Christianity's practical value. So let's bring our radio program to a close by addressing what is perhaps the biggest misconception of all about hatred. And that is that the best response to hatred is to be fair. Now, we often make the mistake of equating fairness With love. But love and fairness are not the same thing. In fact, being fair is actually a value below love. Consider a few passages in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says in verses 46 and 47, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Luke 6, verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Romans 12, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So somebody might say, if I hate a circumstance, if I hate an injustice, if I hate some condition that's hurting people or harming people or, or is negatively affecting our society, then I need to respond with fairness. Okay. Fairness is when somebody steals something from you, you get to steal something from them in return. Fairness is that if somebody accidentally hits your car in a parking lot, you get to take a hammer and dent their car. Fairness is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Fairness is that if my spouse cheats on me, that I should get to cheat on her in response. That's not love. Fairness and love are not necessarily the same things. In fact, in all those cases, they're definitely not the same things. So the best expression of dealing with the things that you hate isn't just to be fair about it, but to be loving about it. Love is not necessarily warm, fuzzy feelings also. Love is the active expression of treating others better than they deserve. And as Philippians chapter 2 very perfectly points out in verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. He goes on to point out that that is the same attitude that you see in Jesus. Jesus was, according to the prophecy in Isaiah 53 verse 3, despised and forsaken of men. Jesus was hated. And yet he responded to the hatred shown to him by the self-sacrifice of dying on the cross. And through his dying on the cross, he made possible the way of salvation for all people. If you'd like to study that further, if you'd like to learn more about Jesus Christ and what it means to be saved, then reach out to
0: Monte Vista and we'd love to sit down and have a Bible study with you. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monta Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 930 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monta Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Amen.